0: Hey guys, Texas Slim here. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Today we have a special uh, recording. This is a recording that's been uh, several years, uh, over three years in the making actually. This is uh, my story, where I come from with food intelligence, where I come from my quest for health, for nutritional. Um, Stability and everything. Uh, It took me about three years to come to this conclusion that it was time to go ahead and uh, release my story. It's full of transparency. It is a testimony of sorts. And uh, my purpose is, is to save children's lives. It started with saving my own life. I had an accident um, over three years ago, got busted up pretty good. As you all know, I've had a few injuries in my life, and I ignored one certain injury that almost took my life. I went to the edge. Uh, I had to finally accept that I was uh, not in a good place and that um, my health had failed. And what I had to do is I had to take a step back. Uh, I had to find an avenue and a pathway to be able to save my life. It's been a hell of a journey. Uh, Here we are today, and you're going to hear my journey. You'll hear more about it, and it'll be uh, something that comes from my heart. Uh, It's it's hard to expose yourself. Uh, It's full of transparency of who I am, where I've come from, uh, the battles that I fought, uh, the sadness, the achievements, the victories, and uh, here we go. Uh, remember, we're out there to get hundred thousand people, you know, through our Substack. We're out there to get as many listeners as we can on this podcast. Please share if you find this valuable. You know, let us uh, let's spread the word. Uh, you know, we have a health epidemic in this nation. A lot of it becomes, comes from addictions. A lot of it comes from denials. Um, what we need to do: acceptance is the key these days. Let's uh, get back to the source, of the seed of who we are, where we came from. Uh, tune in right now and I uh, hope you enjoy my story. We'll see you on the, the side. Hi, Slim. Hello. It's just you look you, wonderful.
1: It's just you and me, baby. Nobody it else. It is.
0: Those special moments in time that we always remember and tra- cherish, actually. Right. Or we don't, do we? Sometimes we have time that we don't want to remember and we want to forget. This is but true. There, sometimes we want to tell a story about times of the past that led us to times that are now.
1: And that's what we are here to do today.
0: That's what I hear.
1: So let's, uh, let's take a trip back in time, shall we?
0: We can. I'm going to let you lead the questions. You know a lot. You've been kind of, you and I have been talking a lot lately. So what we need to do is you kind of lead the curiosity and I'll fulfill the little gaps and the holes in, the, in the cracks.
1: It's cute that you thought I wasn't going to take the lead on this one.
0: Well, I was just, <laughs> wasn't going to put you on the spot. <laughs> You're right. That's what a lot of people don't know about you. Sean Johnson, you take the lead on most things. And that's why I highly respect you. And I'm very, very, very honored to be able to answer any questions that you have. This is about transparency. This is about how things, this is about life and how we live it and how sometimes we want to cover it up, but sometimes we really want to tell, uh, tell the story, tell the truth. And a lot of times we don't have those people that are willing to listen from day one. You've been willing to listen. And that's something that I I definitely saw, and so I appreciate that.
1: Well, it's an it's an honor, and um, I appreciate you, the real you. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm really looking forward to sharing the real you with the world.
0: Well, it is time, and I knew this story would always come out. It's not, you know, it doesn't come from ego. I think the first time you and I talked, I said, "Hey, this ain't got nothing to do with freaking ego." You know, I'm not a charlatan. I'm not trying to get up here and be some stupid influencer. Has nothing to do with that. I'm a very introverted person, but I do what is required whenever I'm on a mission or whatever anything in life that I've always done. I've done it with intent, and sometimes it might seem random. And a lot of to a lot of people, I think within the beef initiative in Texas Slim, sometimes it looks very random. It's not random. There's something that's going on here. It's an orchestration. It's been planned from day one. But I knew I had to have more ears that would actually listen before I told the story about how we got here.
1: It's been planned from
0: day one. Hmm. Pretty much. Okay.
1: okay. Well, let's see. Let's let's take a trip together. I love together. a good.
0: I love a good mystery. And I always know. And my grandma always said, "Curiosity killed the cat, young man." What <laughs> asking so many damn questions. So, you know, stuff like that. With
1: that being said, I'm about to ask a lot
0: of questions. And I give you full permission. It's time to get real. It's trying to get, you know, transparent and do it with integrity. So go for it.
1: Let's take a trip back to the fall of 2018. Can you tell me what was going on at that time in your life?
0: Well, at that time in my life, and I don't even think I told you this, you know, I think people can (laughs) kind of appreciate it now if they know anything about me. I'd taken a massive road trip that year, and I can't even remember how long. It was one of those times in my life where, and, I, and, and as you get to know me, you'll understand that this shit happens in Texas Slim's life. He'll load up his pickup truck, and he'll just, I don't know, where are you going? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that was one of those years. I'd i done a contract with a, me, a major media company, the parent company, and I know their parent company and their parent company, but it was USA Today. And one of those, I, I'd done some consulting with them and I was trying to look into how they were doing their digital marketing, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's it's kind of who I am. It's kind of how like how you are as well. But what I did is I, I'd done a contract with Corporate America And most of the times in my life, when I do that, I feel pretty damn dirty whenever I'm done. You know, my mission was accomplished. I'd figured out what I wanted to figure out. So I'd loaded up and I'd driven across the United States. And I I made it all the way up to right outside of Maine. Uh, And because I used to work up in Maine when I was a young man, I'd leave Austin and I'd go work up on uh, Mount Desert Island up there where you have some resorts. But, But I was just road tripping. But later, you know, after I finished that road trip, that that we'll come back to that road trip at a different time because there, there was something there that I'd I'd like to kind of fill in as far as some gaps. But that year I got uh, I'm a metal worker, I've been a metal artisan since I was about 19. I always grew up with working with wood, metal, everything. But I was, I was getting back into metal, and I had this really bad, I was by myself in a workshop, and I had this really bad internal injury. I, got, I had blunt force applied to me by some metal and some machinery and myself. We, we were all participating in this orchestration of knocking the shit out of me. Well, it knocked the living shit out of me, and it knocked me so hard that, you know, I'm pretty embarrassed, all that kind of stuff, but me being me. And there's something here because I've I've had over 20 broken bones. I've got 14 pieces of metal in me. I've got a half amputated finger. I've had over 10 concussions we think we know of, whatever. you know. I've had some stuff that's gone on with my body. One thing that I've always been able to do and one thing that was in my core belief system was that you don't complain and you deal with pain. You don't complain, you deal with pain. So this time I got the living shit knocked out of me. I didn't complain and I dealt with the pain. Well, you know, and that's how I've always done things. Well, I didn't really, I don't know if I broke a couple of ribs. I've broken, I don't know how many ribs now, enough to know what a broken rib is and what a cracked rib is. Cracked rib is worse than a broken rib, if you don't know that. Because every time you take a breath that you're, you're, you're doing something. So I'd either broken or cracked some ribs, but I just, you know, I weathered the storm. You know, that's what we do. And Throughout time, though, after I had that injury, the fall, I believe it was 2018 that you and I have discussed, um, something started happening to me, just my physicality. Uh, I started losing uh, weight, but my abdomen was getting a little bit bigger. I started losing muscle mass, and my appetite was way off.
1: Do you mind if I uh, establish the time frame here? So we're going from about fall of 2018 to the spring mm-hmm. of 2019.
0: Yeah, that's basically what had happened throughout there. I wasn't all that kind of holidays hit. You know, it's holiday season. You're dealing with other things. You know, I don't think I was even in in that mood, in the mood that year for holiday. It was a it was a forgetful holiday season for me. Just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Probably separated from my son that year from family a little bit, maybe a family dinner was all that really I remember. So I was pretty isolated. I think it was really starting to mess with me mentally and emotionally. But time that like late January came around in the February, March, those were very pivotal times. I, you know, it was winter. So I started wearing more bulky clothes but I was losing a lot of weight. I think, you know, right around now, these days, I'd weigh 170, you know, with boots on, all that kind of stuff. 172 is what I like to hit. Uh, about six foot one. Well, I started getting pretty uh, pretty shallow there in those boots. And I think I was probably about 145 and still wasn't paying much attention to it. I wasn't really focused, uh, internally focused. I wasn't uh, emotionally, spiritually, I was just hurting I was hurting, but I wasn't going to say anything.
1: This was very subtle over the course of this time.
0: Extremely. Yeah.
1: Um, Can I, I just want to say this for those of you who are listening, I highly encourage you to watch the video version of this because I want to show you some pictures about what we're talking about right now.
0: Yeah. And those pictures that, you know, I'll lead into those pictures about why I took them, when I took them. Uh, They weren't, they weren't glamour shots. They weren't uh, filtered uh, Instagram shots, that's for sure, but uh, very few people have ever seen these pictures. Uh, My mother has seen them, you've seen them, maybe one or two other people. I think my son saw them. So, but what had happened is that, and I'd had an internal injury whenever I got busted up. Well, things were shutting down on the inside of me and nobody could figure it out. At that time, nobody knew. Come March, it was time to kind of look into what the hell's going on. I was probably down to about, at this time, I was down to 130-something, and and I wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating, uh, was pissing blood, and uh, no bowel movements. It was more liquid than anything. And, um, you know, I was on water, and that was about it. I'd eat just whatever I could stomach and put it down. So I didn't have any... My GI tract was screwed. You could tell, you know, I, I know enough, enough about my body that it was red light time, that something was messing up. And in that denial, that's basically, you know, engineered by that going ahead and being tough and, you know, working through the pain and not complaining. Um, you know, that that that's a very strong thing thing that happens in somebody like me I've seen grown men where I grew up you know piss blood and they never say anything they wake up dead it's just kind of the cowboy way of the past and you know you don't ask for help
1: mm-hmm. and cowboy so programming
0: yeah it really is hey guys just a quick interruption here I uh, hope you're enjoying or that you're finding my story valuable It is tough sometimes to be transparent and put yourself up there, uh, up on that cross of vulnerability. I don't mind doing it. I believe in what I'm doing. I believe where I came from. I know the struggles that I did have. And, you know, right now it's for another story. The story is, uh, it's, it's warming my heart. I picked up my son a couple of months ago, so From uh, you know, from him seeing his dad very sick to now, him seeing his father very healthy in mind, body, and spirit is very rewarding. It's been worth the struggles. It's been worth the the suffering. Uh, I tell people all the time, you know, it's uh, you better engineer your own suffering, or that suffering is going to be engineered upon you. You know. I'm the I'm the one that can speak from the truth in the heart from this. And so these days, me and my boy are what we're doing is we're having a father son relationship that, uh, you know, everybody should be able to have in their lives. Uh, My story of today is about redemption of uh, health of mind, body and spirit. It took me a, a lot of uh, soul searching to get to that place of uh, accepting that I needed to think differently, that I needed to take a step back and I needed to quit acting such a, like a, like a tough man, you know, toughness comes in many different ways, shapes and forms. Uh, really, if you can, you can, if you can expose some vulnerability in this life, it shows that you're willing to put up with any hardships that come your way. You know, this is not about being an influencer. My story today is about the love of a boy, the love of a father and a son relationship. My boy is 18 years old, and now we're, we're spending time together. And I remember whenever I actually had to fly him in to the panhandle, he was living in Austin. And, uh, you know, putting, putting yourself in my, my position of being pretty sick seeing, you know, being in that position where your your child, you know, has to look at you in your eyes and see the pain and, you know, the suffering, you know, there's something about it is if you go to that edge in which I was, I think the doctor gave me like six weeks. And so, you know, having to look into the innocence of a child's eyes and um, have the vocabulary or have the communication skills to be able to, you know, not break a the heart of a, of a young boy in a, a, in a young mind and to kind of be the person that has to crush some of that innocence. It's not a place that anybody wants to go. Once you've been given that second chance at health, you know, you you realize you look at things different. You're not as scared of things. You're, you're, you 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 do not live in any forms of denial or you don't put things off. You pay attention, you know, to, um, your life different. You pay attention to stewarding, you know, your child differently, yourself differently. You look at how we got here. You know, you look at, you know, you don't look at food as a convenience. It wasn't that I was, you know, a bad consumer. I've always eaten really pretty well, especially on how I was raised. The one thing that you do is you get back to uh, the source of the seed. That's where I came up with that phrase. Because you know, once I did get to where I knew that I wasn't going to pass away, that I wasn't going to die, um, I had to I couldn't do this midstream. And that's what I really want you guys to know that everything that we do in life, the change that is required, the intentionality that we we try to sort our lives with, you know it doesn't start midstream. You go in two directions if you start midstream. What you have to do, the, you have to get to the source of the seed. You have to get to the root cause of everything, the root cause of, you know, the deceptions, the root cause of your own denials, the root causes of your own addictions, you know, and you know, you look at addictions and, you know, everybody can say, oh, he's a drug addict, he's an alcoholic, you know, or this addiction or that addiction. One thing you guys need to accept is that addiction is is more of a behavioral problem. Than anything, um, you know, alcoholics. You know, alcohol is a symptom of a behavioral problem. You know, drug addicts. The drug is a symptom of a behavioral problem. It's it comes from a thinking differently. So whenever you need to uh, reboot, you need to reset. You got to get to the source of the seed of what your core belief system is, and once you can look in that mirror and understand that your core belief system is based on love, trust, truth, honesty, then you can reflect that back out to the world. But if you start midstream, you're always going to have a form of confusion. These days, me and my boy, we're you know we're living life together. We're we're going to the gym together. We're we're eating beef together. We're we're having a lot of fun. I'm teaching them a lot. He's learning how to drive. Uh, I learned how to drive when I was 14. A little story there. I think it was probably within 30 minutes whenever I got my hardship license up here in West Texas that I I got a ticket. So uh, whenever I learned how to drive, I learned how to drive on dirt roads and bar ditches. And my father took me out and we learned in one day. And uh, it was one of the most painful days of my life. But uh, (laughs) it was tough. But I learned how to drive. These days, I'm teaching my boy how to drive a a stick shift where we've got a pasture about three acres over at his Nana's. And uh, he's back there driving a little Kia in the back pasture, and he's learning how to shift gears. And once he learns how to shift gears, he's going to get down to the source of the seed of what a car is, what that transmission is, the operating system of that car. He's going to understand how to maneuver it he's going to understand that you know he can't he can't start driving a car midstream or mid highway or mid interstate it's time to get to the source of your relationships of yourself my son and i are getting into it and i'm using learning how to drive a stick shift in a pasture in west texas on how that boy's going to understand how to approach life do it with your food do it with your health do it with your thinking live another day to tell a story there's many more stories coming our way don't validate the deceptions anymore it's time to rise above it's time to lead from the front as i say each week i'm going to keep on saying that we don't have to ask for permission there's so much good there's so much spirit that is trapped inside of you go see a reflection of yourself That you never seen before. I hope you enjoy the rest of the story. There'll be more to come. I respect all of you. Have much grace, much love. I hope to see you guys in Tennessee too. Me and my boy are going to drive to Tennessee, be the third time this year for me. We'll see you
1: guys soon. Back to the story.
0: And it's nothing that's not, it's not about being boastful saying I'm a badass or I'm tough. It's just ingrained. You know, it is. It is what it is, and so I got so bad that I finally went to the emergency room. Right, and um, so had a doctor that had taken care of my family, uh, especially my stepfather. He's he's in his nineties now, and he's in good health being in his nineties. But they couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with me. And so after f- I didn't have insurance, didn't have anything like that, you know, it was out of God's grace that I found any avenue to be able to be looked at and um all the times i had insurance in my life when i was in corporate america i never used it never times i needed it couldn't have it you know and insurance has gone to shit anyway so yeah. um so i i did have an avenue for to be diagnosed well they couldn't find a diagnosis and they just basically doctor looked at me in the eyes he goes man i i'm I, you you're not going well here and it was it was a, it was a true conversation he goes you got about 6 weeks So he goes, you need to start making plans. But what we're going to do is we're going to do a number of uh, internal tests. We're going to do some MRIs. We're going to do all kinds of stuff.
1: What is going through your mind when the doctor says you've got about six weeks? Yeah. What's going through your
0: mind? You know, you think it's like, oh, shit. Oh, no. The first thing went through my mind is, damn, (laughs) I got to talk to my boy.
1: Yeah. It's tough. <clears throat> I didn't give a shit about me he gave a shit about how he's going to have to live yeah
0: so this will get better <laughs> but anyways it was I didn't give a shit about me I just I just cared about how he's going to have to live his life
1: sure a lot of a lot of men a lot of fathers can relate to
0: this yeah he was 15 yeah about 15 and 16 at the time and so you know all this shit was going down i believe it was right before covid you know i can't even remember when that shit came out tell you the truth but i, I can't remember the years but anyways he was younger uh he hadn't even hit puberty yet and uh you know that was that was the biggest fear that i had it's like, oh shit, here he is. We stuck out of here <clears throat> in this world where he, he's not going to understand how to innovate himself. So I had to, you know, look at that. And, uh, so I prepared <clears throat> after that conversation, what I did is I, you know, I, I called him, said, you know, you're going to, you're going to come see me. And so what, what, um, what we did we planned and I had to gradually go into it, say, Hey, your dad's sick. And just having to talk to your kids and tell them that, Hey, (laughs) you're not old enough to hear this shit, but you're going to hear it anyways. Your dad's going to pretty much be gone. And the, and the reason I get so choked up is, you know, I've had a, I had a buddy that I grew up with that died of cancer as well. And he left all his kids and they still don't have a father, nothing like that. So anyways, there's a lot of emotions with that. But once so, again, I didn't care about me.
1: The reality really yeah. hit hit. Well, home. yeah,
0: that's what it is. It's that form of reality that hits you. Can and I? You know, can I
1: say something? Can I just thank you for having the courage to go here? with us, because this is what it means to be a real man. This is what it means to be a real cowboy, my friend. I appreciate this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you don't know, you know, how you're going to feel when you kind of let it all kind of go out. And it's a lot of, well, you know, trust takes a lot of courage and courage is you don't see too much these days. And so, you know, one of the reasons, you know, to your statement there and your, your gratitude is that, You know, people are afraid to basically expose themselves because people get assassinated with their characters, all that bullshit. People get to make up their impressions about you. They get to do a lot of stuff. So, you know, with where my life has gone since then, there's no other way that I can tell this story except just basically being, you know, up on that damn cross, being transparent, saying, go ahead, take your best shot. So you know that's why I'm willing to do this, and I don't know how I'll get through. I don't know how long this will be, but shit, I am going to get choked up, or I'm going to get pretty damn pissed off, or something. I don't know so what this, it's going to be. This is so, real. Yeah, this, this is real. Okay? Right.
1: There, this this isn't an act.
0: Well, and that's We're what not I always
1: on a performance <laughs> here.
0: No, this, and that's why I, I hate freaking social media because you got all these damn. Charlton's out there, you know. People always acting and being dramatic and shit like that, and that's the last thing our society needs right now. They need some truth, and so that's why I'm willing to do all this. Like I say, I'm a pretty introverted person. I had stage fright my whole life. I didn't talk till I was five years old. So you know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so. so
1: so you have this conversation with your son. You're you're realizing yeah. the gravity of this situation at this moment.
0: Mm-hmm. What next? Well, what next? They kept on looking at me. What next is my son, actually, he was able to come see me. But you've got some pictures of before and after he saw me. What they did next is they, they actually rushed me into the hospital one day. And they said, we're going to have to do emergency surgery. They thought they'd found something. They thought it was some type of a, you know, a type of ulcer that was bleeding out, blah, 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 blah. Well, right before they started putting the scalpel on me, they backtracked, once again, the medical field, the medical industry. And they they, uh, say, oh, shit, you don't have that ulcer. No, that's not what it is. But what you do have is a lot of fluid, and we're going to drain that fluid. So they put one of those big old needles in my abdomen. They made sure they didn't hit stomach, liver, all that kind of good stuff position it right. And they went in there and they drained at least 21 liters of fluid from my body. And and I think there's some pictures of that. Yeah. That's what you
1: you see sitting on the table here. Yeah. Extraordinary.
0: And so what we did with those, you know, with that fluid is like, okay, let's see if it's going to keep on building. I had 21, I think that, that time And I stayed pretty low for a couple of days, but then they had to go in and do nine more. So it it, it was close to 28, 29 liters all together within probably an eight-day time frame. That's how much they drained out of me. I finally got down at that last draining about 121, I believe it was. And, And
1: still no diagnosis at this stage.
0: No diagnosis, but it was coming. It was coming quick. And what they did is my son came, uh, his mother came and, uh, they stayed, they stayed a couple of days and we talked, you know, it wasn't gloom and doom, but it was preparation in a way that you don't know until you sit down and, you know, look at your child in their eyes and you, you let them know that, Hey, you know, this is what's going to play out. We're going to pray. We're going to do whatever we have to do, but you know, be prepared. And he's, he's a strong young man, you know? And, uh, so we got that behind us and it did, it, it felt better. It felt better that, okay, you know, the, the secret is out, whatever you want to call it, you know, the truth is out. So let's move forward. Well, I got another call. And, um, so they put me in the hospital. I was in, you know, I was in an observation, but what had happened, i had a portal vein had collapsed. And it was up underneath my liver. And basically what they did is they found out that, hey, we can kind of give you some help here. And it really isn't based on any pharmaceuticals or anything like that. So they did one more draining. I had three. I had like five to six MRIs, all kinds of stuff. And they put me on a certain diet. Okay, but it was a chemical diet, which was done through RV, uh, IVs and everything. I almost said RV, like a vacation. But they did IVs, and you know, sure enough, here we go. I quit basically retaining fluid. And then they gave me some stuff, I believe, kind of like water pills. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember the names of them, but there was two prescriptions and then the IVs. And so I was in that hospital stay that time for about a week. But all of a sudden, you know, I was sitting in that hospital bed and I was having a little hope and everything. And what happened is I started talking to the nutritionist and, you know, what were they feeding me? And everything that she was doing, she was a institutional academic, you know, that's her whole life was to become a nutritionist. And the way I was raised and how we ate as a family, everything that she was telling me she was wrong. She was wrong on everything from what nutrition is, um, the importance of protein, uh, the the damages of carbohydrates, especially in a highly processed form. See, I knew all this because I've always just basically been more of a, you know, I grew up with a freezer full of beef and that's what we ate. We ate meat first and then everything else came second. And I saw the food pyramid. I just know food in a way that a lot of people don't understand it. And I'm not ever studied it. I just know it naturally.
1: So you start working with this nutritionist, and then you immediately reflect back to your childhood and the foods that 100%. you consumed as a child
0: mm-hmm. before yeah.
1: before all the damage had been done.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, well, you know, I, I was eating beef before I had teeth, right? You know, mom used to feed, uh, feed us bone broth. You know, there's so many things that we... Were raised with, we knew our doctor was in our small town. We never had all this type of damage to our health that these kids have, that adults have right now. And it was so simple. It's complicated to most people. Well, so I, I you, never got away from that mindset.
1: You had a very unique upbringing. How many yeah. of us, I mean, you were literally eating the food from the land that you were growing up on. Not many right. people in the U.S. have that experience or even can fathom what that's like.
0: No, they can't. And I think that's what's, a, it's a gift to me to be able to really, what it did, especially being sick, being beat up like I was, you know, it gave me time to reflect on my family and my heritage and man, it went deep and I started getting deeper and deeper and deeper. By the time I left that damn doctor, you know, I'd had a health clinic in, in the Texas Panhandle that took me in, which was great and, you know, much grace to them. But everything that they were doing, everything from from diets to how you're supposed to basically, you know, um, you know, a big thing with uh, community based health clinics are there's a lot of diabetics going through these health clinics. Mm -hmm. And so I could tell that there was something off with the guidance of basically our consumption models, you know, especially even if you're in the damn hospital, damn near ICU. And people are telling you to consume stuff that actually is working against what your body is trying to accomplish. That's a fact. And so it was a moment of clarity and it was a moment of like, holy shit. Well, you know, before all of this kind of transpired, you know, I grew up in the Bible belt and all that kind of stuff. But one thing i did was always knew and always reflected especially as an adult that i left all that organized religion away you know i don't participate whatsoever i look at my higher powers in a different way than most people kind of the cowboy way but i'd always looked at jesus as being like the baddest outlaw that ever existed because he went against the system you know he he turned over the tax tables in the temple He did a lot of things, and he told everybody to piss off, basically, that he knew what he was doing, and he didn't need their assistance, but they need to listen. Well, you know, I made an agreement with him and said, hey, if we can get this shit turned around, (laughs) you know, let's let's go at this. So that's what I did. I made an agreement saying, if you get me through this shit so my boy can have a father again that he can be proud of, I'm going to. I want to create a fucking legacy here, and we're going to do it in a way that people don't freaking have a clue, and we're going to do it in a very outlawish way, not meaning not robbing banks, but what we're going to do is we're going to change people's spirits in a way that they don't see coming, and it's going to come from getting back to the source of the seed of who we are. And if we can do that, one person, one child, one family, one community at a time, then this thing is going to take hold, and you're going to be able to tell a story. And so, at that point in time, when I got out of the hospital, there, and you know, I was I was not bloating up. I was actually able to consume a little bit. I went straight into protein.
1: So, so let's just set the stage because the beef initiative hadn't occurred to
0: you yet. Not at all. You just. I haven't told anybody when the beef initiative actually happened in my mind.
1: And and we'll definitely get there. But at this point in time, you made a promise and you were going to pursue that promise. And that's all you Mm knew.
0: That's the only thing I knew. I come from research and analysis. I never went to university. I'd never relied on these institutions to, you know, I, I borrowed from the institutions. I would go sit in class at UT. It never paid them. I needed to go find something out, I went and figured it out on my own. You know, if they had valuable information, I don't know if it was a value for value exchange, but they definitely, you know, I leveraged into understanding and how I got to where to be a very good research and, you know, and do analysis in the level that I can do it. I turned all that skill set, especially my cowboy way. My technology way, big tech, consulting, everything came into one and it went right into something called food intelligence. And I was going to redefine what that is. I I did a hashtag food intelligence and I did a Google search and I laughed. I laughed at everybody out there trying to do food intelligence and they had no clue what the hell they were talking about. And they still don't to this day because it's based on deceptions that they're still validating. And so I knew that, okay, we got to start from ground zero here. And so I started doing some heavy ass research. And at that time, you know, I wasn't in health. I wasn't in a good place, but I, you know, I was, I was getting better. And so it took me eight months, eight months to get to where I was functioning again. And then, you know, I went the route of cowboy way. Let's get farm tough that's what you're shooting for. It wasn't about, you know, getting something and doing something in the gym. That's all you do. You, you know, all these metrics, all these measurements, it was about getting farm tough. That's what, the only, go what's, ahead.
1: What specifically are you researching at this point in time?
0: Well, you look at, okay, you hear me all the time. And this is where I think anytime when you say research, I think a lot of times in this life, especially these days, we get in analysis paralysis. We don't know where to start the research. Mm-hmm. So I was laying in bed one night and I said, and I made that agree. I make agreements with myself. They're promises. They're sacred promises. And I said, with all this is daunting. You don't know where to start. And I said, okay, we're going to get to the source of the seed. In my mind, I pictured the seed. The seed is where, from which we come. And so any type of living being, you know, especially us, there's a seed. Where do we come from? So what do we consume? We consume food. So I had to get to the source of the seed of our food system. What is that? Well, it's the seed. Where is it Where is it? Where is it now? Where did it come from? Whenever, before we even came onto this continent, as far as, you know, people migrating from all over the world into the United States, what seeds were here? Who controls that seed? And it's amazing if you can start with the seed where it used to be, where it is now, you'll find everything you want to know about our food system. So,
1: so let me get this straight. You're laying in bed. You make the decision. I need to get farm tough as if you're, you're preparing to get your hands dirty here. And yeah. I think we're about to dig, dig into that part, which is one of my favorite parts of your story, by the way. <sighs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's good, you know. And if you have some, you know, background of me, you know, I grew up on dirt roads. I grew up. Grandfather had several sections. He was a farmer, rancher. He produced animals. He produced produce. He, you know, he stewarded family. He survived a lot of things. He survived a uh, dust bowl. Just, uh, just uh, two world wars. The Great Depression uh, death in the family. Um, you know, but one thing he did is he, he taught me how to work farm, tough work. There's, there's only one way. And so if you've, if you, if you know what that means and you know what the hell I'm talking about, if you don't, it, it should scare you a little bit cause you'll hurt a little bit. <laughs> but anyways, that's where I was going. Yes. Cause I could reflect back on how I was raised. I also know how to, you know, drive a combine, you know, drive a tractor, Farm equipment, I know how to, you know, break horses, work horses, all that kind of stuff. Not an expert. I'm not a cowboy out there that does it every day. So, you know, I don't want to disrespect anybody that does this every day because that's not me, but I guarantee I can keep up with most people. So by saying that, I knew kind of, I didn't know what, what the path was, what that roadmap was to getting farm tough, but it was basically me designing my own consumption model around audio, video and food. And I had to start where it wasn't going to be something that was a centralized delivery apparatus that gave me that form of intelligence that I was trying to uncover because a lot of people don't realize most of the information that we get is censored and it's controlled by many people that people really do not understand. Mm -hmm. And you got to have a skill set to dive deeper. Most people in their lives are on an interface surface level. When I say that, it's like they're on their phone screen, they're on a computer screen, and they don't go beyond that. What you got to do within the internet itself is you got to go layers deep into the internet to get to where that valuable information is. And a lot of people use software applications to do that. Well, you can't do that whenever you're looking for information. You can Google Google all day long but all you're doing is you're staying in one one little index it's compartmentalized it's just part of the internet and a lot of people don't understand that so being me and my technical skills i went ahead and got certified as a data scientist as i was beat up and so i got my skill set honed in a little bit more and i learned how to do queries and calls and research you know what data analysis and data scientists do and so I got to the source of the seed of a lot of basically who controls our food system, the global industrial food complex. And I started unraveling exactly where we came from, what's been interjected into our food systems from the beginning, basically of my grandfather's life and until where we are today and and how it's changed and how our health has declined, uh, you know, it's, it, it, there's a roadmap there that I could talk about for days as far as where we've come from and where we are now, and, and especially our health. And so I knew I was on to something. And so I got pretty solid with my health started coming back. I've showed you some pictures there of uh, whenever I was kind of peak performance. Yeah,
1: let's take a look at the, the before and the after because it's, it's mind-blowing. Go for it. So when do we go undercover into the harvesting company?
0: <laughs> you just couldn't wait. Could you? I, c-
1: I can't wait. Well, look, anybody who does research knows the value of utilizing primary sources. That's what you're talking about. These secondary mm-hmm. and tertiary, you yeah. know, filtered versions of the truth. Right. And um, I've never met anyone who truly went to the primary source. I mean, you went undercover
0: yeah I was just I was just an old dude going on harvest a you know?
1: company, yeah
0: right. I woke up once again, I usually wake up about three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and said, "Shit, I got to go on harvest. It's uh well, it's time to go on harvest. Yeehaw.
1: You do realize that you're li- you're going to live at this point. Have we? yeah that man, I was point? I
0: was functioning, man. Yeah. You know, I was looking pretty, I was feeling fantastic. I was feeling great. I was really, you know, I was happy. I was like, man, this is going to be fun. You know, I'm going to go work my ass off. I'm going to get out, you know, into the, you know, it is monocropping, but I didn't know it was as bad as it, you know, it is. But, you know, when you go on harvest, what you do is you go on, uh, you start off with a wheat harvest, basically, is what you do in Texas. And you go north. And what I'd done is I'd written an email at about three or four in the morning, and I sent it off to about 14 harvest companies. It's been years since i had done a harvest, but I I know what is until it's not that difficult if you've been through one. It's like riding a bike, right? You're going to be rusty and all that. You're going to catch a lot of shit because you're older and you're not an expert, but that's part of being that cowboy thing. You catch a lot of shit if you don't know what you're doing, so... (laughs) You can't be thin skinned but, uh, so I got into a harvest company and we, were they're out of Kansas and we went all the way up to North Dakota on harvest and we got stationed, uh, outside of a small town in North Dakota. And so I was on harvest and what I was doing, I was working with a bunch of young, young guys and uh, there's about 20 of them, give or take. And we were harvesting wheat. And that's what I thought we were going to do was harvest wheat. That was what we were going to do. Well, that year they were saying there was a wheat shortage. They were saying a lot of things that didn't really add up. You know, they're always blaming drought. They're always blaming shit. And if you know the USDA, there's a lot of uh, insurance policies that, you know, get fulfilled every year. So I saw a lot of things that weren't adding up within the harvest. I knew all the grain companies. I knew all the chemical companies. You know, I knew all the pesticide companies. And I looked and I studied every damn harvest we did every person that came on that land, what their responsibility was, who was the farmer, if there was any farmers left, or is there just land in this whole apparatus was being controlled by basically multinational corporations. And so I started uncovering exactly how we go through harvest now. And it's a hell of a lot different than it used to be. And in that year, you know, you usually do about 80 to 90% wheat. If you're a wheat farmer, you grow wheat, right? Well, that year, we basically ended up doing 50% wheat and 50% rapeseed, which is canola oil. And that's when I went, holy shit, This this ain't right. Asking that farmer, he really wasn't a farmer. He owned some land and he planted seeds and he didn't even plant his own seeds anymore. He just stewarded the land in a way that was told to him by the multinational chemical and grain companies through a technology use agreement. But he uh, he said, Well, this year we we we're growing more canola. He called it canola, it's rapeseed. But he mm-hmm. said, Well, last year we did this percentage, this year we're doing this. I said, Why? Canola's paying more. So mm-hmm. you have a weed that was outlawed by the FDA in 1956 that is actually becoming a surplus crop in the United States. And so if you look at that, just that statement right there, and you say, Okay, well, what's going in our food supply? Well, you can find canola in every damn thing that we consume if it goes through the industrial food complex. And yeah. so, and this what is I did—this
1: is what's subsidized.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. subsidized, and you know, it's a—it's a fake commodity. I call it a fake commodity. Mm-hmm. All vegetable oils, all that kind of shit. Procter and Gamble started it way back in the early 1900s when we went off candles. We had to find something because we had electricity. Procter and Gamble started making Crisco. And that was the introduction of vegetable oil into our basically our market access as consumers. And that's a fascinating story there that you can research on your own. But what I found out is that these farmers really were only getting paid because they were planting a crop that is subsidized and it's a fake commodity. It has nothing to do with nutrition. It has nothing to do with feeding communities. Had nothing to do with anything as far as us being healthy as a nation, healthy as a people, healthy as an individual, healthy as a farmer, healthy as a community has nothing to do with it. Right.
1: And these farmers are just thinking about putting a roof over their their families. That's
0: all they can do these days. They own the land. It's in their family for years. I think, you know, these guys have been there in North Dakota 100 years. and North Dakota is fascinating. It's a fascinating state. It's a, it's a step back in time. You know, it's very rural. It's very majestic. It's got rolling hills. The wheat, you know, the wheat fields are phenomenal. The, the wildlife, just everything about it is is beautiful. But what I noticed, we're in a small town. You stage out of certain places. And I, we staged out of a small town there. And all that small town had was a convenience store and a restaurant. And the only thing that they served was fried food in that restaurant. And everything at that restaurant was basically frozen. It was shipped in by a multinational food corporation. And, it, and basically, you look at it, all. Of, it was a food desert. In the middle of North Dakota, of agricultural America, especially wheat, it was a food desert. Where everybody in that community, you had to drive 89 miles to a Walmart. They had a small grocery store that was worse than a Dollar General. And all they had really was aisles uh, that were frozen aisles. And it was the same thing that was being served at the restaurant. It was just different. You know, it was just different packaging, but it's all the same food.
1: So at this stage, you're really just starting to realize how deep the deception
0: really is.
1: And you've described it as daunting. And it feels daunting just hearing you describe this.
0: Well, it was because here I am on Harvest and I'm the I'm the older, wiser guy and everybody loved me. You know, I'm pretty knowledgeable. We go out and shoot guns, you know, when we're not just everything, you know, I just have a couple of years on them and they, they need some guidance. And these boys, you know, they grew up on freaking video games, you know, and that's how they act. And they they grew up eating pizza pockets and chicken tendies. And that's, that's what they know. And they're farm kids and they shouldn't be that way. They should be healthy. That's how we grew up. We didn't eat chicken tendies. We had good food whenever we went on harvest. We had good food when we went on hunts. We had always good food at our fingertips because that's how we were raised. All these young men were still acting like boys. They had low testosterone. They were overweight. They were still strong because they're young, you know, and they do work, work their asses off, but they didn't have a level of strength to them emotionally, maturity wise, spiritually wise or physically they're depleted and I could see that. And they, I think in, in, in the, in the, you know, the health world and nutrition world, they call it skinny fat, right? It's like they're overfed and they're, 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 they're either overweight or they're obese and they're undernourished and they have no muscle tones. Yeah, And and that's what I saw across the board. And it, and one thing that was fascinating in the very beginning, you know, I was part of the crew that go get food. Well, we had a Walmart to shop at, and so everybody gets to pick what they want to eat, and they get the Master Credit Card from the Harvest owners and everything. So you go there, you buy about four thousand dollars worth of food for that many people. Everybody has to take care of themselves. That's one thing you do. You get all the food you can eat. Well, all these all these boys were lining up just. All kinds of highly processed food, everything you can throw in the microwave, grab and go, everything, $4,000 worth of poison. And and here I am feeling very healthy, being in very good shape when I went on Harvest. The One of those pictures is right before I went on Harvest, well, I didn't have access to any good food anymore. Mm. Like that, I started eating that food. I started going downhill fast and I could feel it, my pancreas, all my insides. And I was not at my peak level anymore. And what had changed? Well, my consumption model had changed. Consumption model across my food, my audio, my video. I was sitting here in paradise working my ass off, and I should be feeling fantastic. but I was feeling lethargic, mentally cloudy, so many things because I was having to eat all this highly processed food. And I was trying really hard not to eat the shit, you know, but you have to go with the flow and you got to be part of it. So I went and talked to the owner of the harvest company and I said, this is bullshit. Let me, let let me do something here. And that's when I, you know, I knew that we needed to go shake a rancher's hand. So in the middle of North Dakota, on one of our days off as rain day, I went and found a freaking rancher and I went and shook his hand and I said, I need a lot of damn beef. So I went and bought like $500 worth of beef and I started cooking for the crew. And it was extra work and all that kind of stuff. But I started cooking beef, Texas style, which they didn't know how to do. (laughs) Cowboy style, the little gaucho and Brazilian style of cooking beef. And all of a sudden, the whole crew got better. Everybody started feeling better. Just two nights a week, we ate steaks, we ate fajitas, we ate whatever. But we ate good beef. And I introduced that into the crew. And all of a sudden, people started changing. They started getting a little bit more energy. They weren't wanting to eat that shit anymore. All they did was talk about, hey, when are we going to get to eat? When is, <laughs> when is Slim going to make us you know, fajitas? When is Slim going to cook those steaks? So what you saw is you saw a change. You saw a change in young minds. And they, 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 they started conversations. They're like how it, it led into a rabbit hole, not because of your preaching to them, not because you're trying to force change upon them, But they were consuming protein that was making them have a new yearning. That yearning was to discover, discover something that they never had before. These boys that were farm tough, they'd never eaten like this before. They'd never had pure animal protein served to them like this before. These guys grew up, but one thing they were, they were extremely poor, impoverished farm boys. And so what that as their families had come from the communities in which I came from, they had basically no market access to pure animal protein growing up. Most of them had never even tasted it before. All they had tasted were pizza pockets, chicken tendies, and fruity pebbles. That was their life. And that is not something that people want to admit. It's, a, it's the type of shadows in which we live in in the United States right now. And people don't realize how bad off this truly is how bad off that we've basically killed off a couple of generations opportunities to have that sound health that I talk about.
1: When does the Beef Initiative start to enter into your mind?
0: Well, I, I finished up Harvest in North Dakota, and I was going to go ahead and do uh, corn that year, but I was done. I knew that I needed to get busy. I didn't know exactly. I had so much content that I needed to outline. Once again, I said, okay, let's get back to the source of the seed. Mm -hmm. So, what I usually do, you know, I'm a pretty good writer off and on, depends on how invested I am in it. But whenever I do, I I, I pick a title. That's all I do in the beginning. I picked a title and I called it The Harvest of Deception. And at that time, I knew that I could write a book. So I started writing. And then I wrote. Uh, I think it was about I don't about uh, fourteen thousand words. The first sit down took me about I don't I know believe three it. or four yeah. three or four days. Yeah, yeah, the first one, the first edition. And uh, so I wrote the Harvest of Deception. I didn't know a damn thing about it. I'd been playing on Twitter, you know, off and on, calling myself different things and everything. So I said, okay, well, if you're going to do this, you got to get back to you know your roots, source the seed of who you are. So you know, I picked old Texas Slim. It's been a you know a nickname for me forever, and uh, I you know I had a couple of followers had I don't know hundreds a couple of hundreds or something like that, and I wrote the Harvest of Deception, and I knew that Twitter and I'd fallen down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin too. And mm-hmm. this this is valuable because Bitcoin is a decentralized you know sound money apparatus. It's a technology. A lot of people don't understand it, but I know that the Bitcoiners are very loyal. They want truth. They want transparency and honesty. And so I, I released the harvest of deception on Twitter, which a lot of my followers and a lot of my attention towards Twitter was Bitcoin because I was educating as well into food intelligence. And so I released that article on Twitter and all of a sudden it took fire. It took, you know, it, it, it took hold. And people were like, holy shit, no way. And I said, yeah, this is, this is where we are. And so once once that happened, I knew that I was onto to something. And going back to the beef initiative, I knew that I had to paint a roadmap, but I wasn't going to say what the beef initiative was. If it was anything, I was going to talk about food intelligence first. And then after I've got enough attention through the harvest of deception, I write. I, don't, I think I'd written probably two to three follow-up articles. Mm-hmm. Then it was time to say, okay, we're going to form the Beef Initiative. In the beginning, I called it the Texas Beef Initiative because I wanted to get people's attention. And that got people's attention really fast. And uh, the reason I did the Beef Initiative was the day I went and basically knew that I'd, I'd changed the course of some guys' minds by feeding them animal protein. And what were my steps to get there? Well, I took off time from work on a day off. I didn't go and drink beer. I didn't go and shoot guns. What I did is I went out and I looked at a community and I found somebody that wanted to feed the community. And I found the rancher and I shook his hand and I told him what I was doing. And he was more than willing to help me feed a group of guys on harvest. And so that became the beef initiative. And within our food supply systems, I knew that I had to introduce something that was a decentralized mindset and a decentralized way of paying for this because in the future, more people will be buying beef with Bitcoin than they realize right now. That's my projection, but I believe it's going to happen. Well, it is happening already within the beef initiative. But it came from just that one call to action that I gave myself And so that's when I started formulating the beef initiative. And then after I'd written those articles, you know, basically I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Don't know how we're going to get there, but, you know, I'm not going to tell you what the beef initiative is. You're going to figure it out. And it's not a marketing plan, you know, it never was. It's not about getting likes on freaking social media. That's for damn sure. And it's not about getting up and LARPing. Into an incessant circle jerk, as so many people do, and they never accomplish anything, but they parrot the daily fear porn and they basically grab people's attention. And then those people recycle out, and then new people recycle in, you know, and they figure that that it's, that hamster will people figure out that okay, these guys are just LARPers. This is not what the beef initiative is. This is about saving children's lives, and it's about saving your life. And it's about giving you the type of intelligence that you need to take ownership of, that you have a roadmap, that there are no more rationalizations and justifications to be where we are. And I think that I've done a very good job is getting to the sources of the seed of the issue so we can get to the source of the seed of the solution. And in my life, the source of the seed of solution for a hundreds of thousands and hopefully millions of people, it's going to be a gateway called the Beef Initiative.
1: So you're, you're in the process of discovery and educating. And as that education starts to take hold, there are people there that are hungry for that information. They want to understand the deception. Yeah. And then the Beef Initiative blossomed out of that. Mm-hmm yeah and all this time you're you're following this calling within your heart, this promise that you made between you and God and your son, yes, and you're just moving in this direction, and this is just starting to unfold, which is mm-hmm. extraordinary
0: well in 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 that that's what I think about it all the time because there there was no plan. the plan was to keep a promise. The plan was to have integrity and truth and honesty and transparency within myself, you know, so I could, I could save a little boy's spirit. But the thing about all of that is that whenever you accomplish something in life, usually if you get accolades for it or if you get people that, you know, come along for the ride with you, it's not planned. It's just something that is true. It's just the truth. And I knew that I had to live in that truth.
1: Well, may I I say something to that? Yeah. You know, the the thing that stuck out to me about you was, A, I knew there was way more to the story than than you initially let on. I knew this was coming from a a much deeper place because you've literally let go of, of everything of value in your life to dive into this mission. It was clear that you were a man on a mission it's clear that you had a roadmap, which is not something that we've seen in this space. It, you know, we've done a really good job at defining the problem, but you were one of the first people who I saw actually had a roadmap moving forward. Now, with that being said, you didn't necessarily know all the hows involved in that roadmap. And so, you know, you've you've taken the leap, you've you've taken that baton. But what we need in order for this, this thing to be a massive success, and we need it to be successful, is for people to, to show up and no, we don't have it all figured out. Tell us what you can bring to the table to make it possible, because it takes each of us as individuals taking up that baton and driving this thing forward.
0: Well, it's a very good observation. I like that you can see that because everybody that comes to me, they want all these answers and that's how we've conditioned a society. It's like, I got to know everything before I believe in it. You've got to, you know, you've got to tell me everything or I'm not going to be invested. And I'm trying to tell people there ain't no knowing where this is going. It depends on you. Are you going to be involved with it? Then kick ass. Let's get moving. I've got something for you. I'm going to work your ass off. Because going into each day into the unknown in each day is actually how a farmer and rancher lives his life. They, there's no guarantees. The every pioneer,
1: day. the pioneering spirit. You pioneer.
0: And that's where I, I mean, Texas Panhandle. This is all this is. This is a God forsaken place to most people. To the first pioneers here, they were the rough and tumble people that said, screw you, I'm going to make this work. Because it is, you can go hundreds of miles without water. You go through rolling, rolling plains of grasslands. It was Comanche land. It's pioneering in a modern day. A lot of people are afraid to do that, and what it takes is that acceptance. Saying, "Well, I don't, I, I don't know the answers, but I have enough faith and I have enough willpower that's based on some integrity and some strength." That damn it, I know this out. Outcomes going to be better than where I'm standing. So let's get busy. And so I'm not afraid to do that because that's what a farmer-rancher does every day of their life. They don't have any guarantees. They have so much corruption, they have that, you know, volatility, you know, weather, government, society, community, you know, animals, everything. And in in you try to go up to a farmer and rancher, and you try to go up to somebody like me. And you want me to define it for you? Well, why don't you do some groundwork first and then we'll have a conversation. That way you're showing me some respect or you know where the hell I'm coming from. And so, you know, that's kind of how I'm going to start moving forward because that's who the hell I am. And and people are either going to like it or hate it. I told everybody, I said, I'm going to live rent free in your head. In the beginning, I told people this, so you're either going to love me or you're going to hate me because it's going to come from a, a form of strength that's, stern it's not mean but it's like it's time for the bullshit to end here folks and if you can look at the harvest of deception you can look at those truths those facts of what's going on within our nation and what's going on with our food supplies and what's going on with our children i ain't got time for you to rent seek. you know what is the beef initiative what i want you to do help is us say, define it yeah help us define it
1: bring your there perspective there you go it's going to take multiple Perspectives to chart new territory, and that is what we are doing. We are charting a new territory. This territory does not exist yet. Nope. We are making it.
0: No, it's like I give myself visuals. I'm a visual person. I think in visuals. I look at us sitting out on a mason, looking at a new horizon, and we're 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 explorers right now because times are a changing. You know, they are a changing, folks. And if you can look at it, and if you can accept. Acceptance is a key. I keep saying that because it's extremely important. Once you accept something, you can move forward, no matter good or bad. What you do is you, you, you go into a form of innovation, personal innovation that gives you empowerment. And that's what I believe right now, standing here right now for anybody asking if they're really curious, that's what the Beef Initiative is. It's a collaboration. It's an innovation back into something you've never seen in yourself. So let's go with that. I like that.
1: I'm going to ask you a question Mm -hmm. to close this out. If you could have a billboard anywhere Mm -hmm. in the world in front of billions of people, Mm -hmm. what message would be on there and why?
0: It'd be me in a cowboy hat and be looking down and says, I am Texas Slim. That's it.
1: Wow. That's a, that's a, stay tuned for more folks. (laughs) I like it. I like it. I know where you're going with it. And I can't wait to reveal
0: more. I love to play chess and I love to play Texas Hold'em poker. Uh, So
1: that's something I know about you, my friend. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you for having the courage to come on here and do this today.
0: Well, hopefully, this is one of a thousand because what we're going to do is we're going to go save some lives. And people will come. They're going to funnel in. They just have to.
1: Only the pioneers.
0: Only the pioneers.
1: And with that, I bid everybody adieu. Thanks, Sean.
0: Bye. Peace. Hey, guys. um, Tough one to say. Might have been a tough one for you to see. Appreciate you uh, spending your time with me that last, I guess, so hour or so. This is where we talk about value for value exchange. This is where we say, "Hey, you know, we're giving back to each other. Uh, we are podcasting 2.0. We have a wonderful team that's uh, producing these podcasts for us. Great uh, production. Uh, sometimes you're going to see me on a dirt road. Sometimes you're going to see me in this little pseudo studio. Sometimes you're going to see me in the pickup truck." But always know that uh, my message is uh, clear, concise. And you know, every time you guys stream us sats, you know, I really appreciate it. Let me read off some names for you real quick that are giving that value for value. They're steaming straps, streaming sats <laughs> with podcasting 2.0 on the fountain app. Uh here we go. I'm gonna read these off. We've got uh Gene Everett again. Thank you so much, Gene. You're 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 doing this every week. We have a junior side Noah. Thank you. You so much. Uh, he's looking for a rancher in Michigan. Hey, everybody, get a rancher in Michigan. Let's get him in the beef initiative. If you know somebody, go to Twitter, tweet it out. Let's go. Let's get some people in Michigan. There's a lot of great uh, regenerative action going on in Michigan. Let's get some Michigan ranchers into the beef initiative. Appreciate that. Thanks for that awareness. Um, Nomad Joe, there you go again. Eat more beef. Yes, sir. And then we've got Bubba. Bubba, you lost your uh, license for about three or four days. Now you're back. You're on the road. Thank you, Bubba. Good to see you down in Luling. Uh, Appreciate you, man. Love you. Big love. Who else we got? We got Bubba again. Then we got Joel W. He's doing this every week as well. We've got Gene Everett again. We've got TW Cattle. That's the first time I saw you. Thank you for the sats. We've also got Ron. Uh, Listen to what Ron has to say. He gave 10,000 sats. Education is the number one focus in the goal of bringing new first generation ranchers into the fold. This scholarship is something I'm very excited about. Everything is so early okay if you guys have missed the last podcast or the time before we have a scholarship foundation trust fund going on these days remember this is going to the ranchers a lot of the uh, proceeds that we get some some through the events that we've had through uh, people donating people are donating into the scholarship trust fund go ahead and go to the beef initiative uh, website go to the donation page give back to the scholarship trust fund we are in partnerships with unchained Capital. This is something that is moving forward. It's moving forward in 2023. With your help, we're going to be able to help the ranchers be the educators they are. They're going to be able to give out internships, scholarships, apprenticeships. That's our mission. That's our goal. Uh, let's wrap this up here. We got Gene Everett again. We got Nanya Business, David Bennett. He's up in Washington now. Thank you, guys. Um, stay tuned for next week's podcast. It's a tell of uh, health and you uh, know, it's a tell of overcoming Um, Obstacles within our health Uh, We got the Tennessee Beef Initiative uh, Micro Summit coming up Uh, A lot of announcements there And guess what, if you haven't found out Sean Baker Carnivore Diet, he's going to be speaking In Tennessee Beefinitiative.com Your future events tab there Go ahead and click on it, see if there's any tickets left There might not be, get there If you can get there to Nashville Uh, Hope to see you, come shake my hand Much grace, much respect Much love. I appreciate every one of you. We'll see you next week.